Let's pray and get to work. Lord, we are so thankful for your grace. Just be with us tonight and as we look into your word. Oh, we love your word. How sweet is your word. Sweeter than honey. More nutritious than anything that we can eat. So wonderful, so great. Help us to love your word. Help us to be the people of your word. People of one book for your glory. And help us to taste the goodness of your word so that we can study, meditate, live according to it to become blessed people, powerful people for our generation. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been studying seven churches yesterday. Ephesus, first church, the cold church. No love. Second church was Smyrna church, suffering church. Very small, but Smyrna church was a church that received the poor. They were suffering. They were considered rich. Before God. Pergamum church, compromising church. Uh, Thyatira, sick church. Sardis, slumbering church. Philadelphia, faithful church. So Smyrna church and Philadelphia church. Two churches that received only commendation. Neither of them were big, famous, but faithful. Not fancy, but faithful churches. Laodicea church. Uh, I call it dead church because Jesus is outside the door. It's not in there. So that's why I call it uh, dead church. And, uh, you know, again, like uh, if you take out the two positive churches, two commended churches, this, these are the churches that are problem. And I believe there's a progression. You lose love, you lose heart, you compromise, you get sick, you start to die. And then you become dead church. So I believe Jesus is speaking to all the churches. Though he's speaking directly to the first century church. He's speaking, he's speaking to all the churches until he returns. Uh, this church is the most interesting church to me. Because you know I go to Africa and preach. When I go to Africa and preach. A lot of these churches are like Smyrna Church of Philadelphia Church. Uh, I think if I think about churches in America and also in Korea, affluent society and a culture, I believe Laodicean church is probably the closest one uh, to the, as we think about the principles of these that we can learn from these churches. So that's why I would like to talk about it. I'll say a little bit of background about the city. It's always good to know the little bit of background about the city. Laodicea is, is again, modern-day Turkey. Pamukkale, that's the name of the city, present-day city of Laodicea. Laodicea was famous for its worship to Zeus, who appears on some of the city's coinage. The wealthiest city in Phrygia during Roman times, so wealthy. It was widely known for three things, banking establishment, medical school, textile industry, banking establishment, medical school, textile industry damaged by earthquake in AD 60 there was a you know uh, well-known earthquake uh, in AD 60 but they were so self-sufficient because it was a commercial center inside of thriving medical and textile industries 
you know, Roman emperor wanted to help them to rebuild the city, right? Because there was city-wide earthquake, everything was destroyed. But they declined imperial disaster relief because we can take care of ourselves. <laughs> so they were so rich, they were able to rebuild themselves by on their own. So they were uh, so proud, obviously. So when Jesus is saying to them, "You're poor," what? What are you talking about? They obviously did not see themselves as poor. The city did not see itself as poor, blind, naked, which is, was the accusation of Jesus Christ. Nor did the complacent church within it, they, they did not see themselves as that. So Christians at Smyrna, we talked about the small church of Smyrna, uh, you know, was poor but spiritually rich. This church was exactly opposite. They were, can I use the word filthy? They were filthy rich. But they were spiritually poor. His major weakness was lack of an adequate water supply. So aqueduct came from southward Laodicea, bringing water and rich minerals. And these aqueducts still exist in the sites. I've, I've seen it. It's amazing how they did it. Miles, they did built a water pipe like the big aqueduct and survived with water supplies like that. In this uh, last church alone, Jesus finds nothing to commend. This is one church that had nothing good to say. I'm sure Jesus was trying, but there was nothing good to say about this church. Uh, so Paul was in contact with the church in book of Colossians. Colossians. Now, uh, if I were to throw to you like a dollar bill or five dollar bill, something like that, if I throw to you, some of you will go, you you think I'm weird? Why are you throwing that? And people would, you know, take it, you know, you know, hit it away or something. If I throw that in Africa, they would say the same thing. Why you do that? You throw that much <laughs> because there's so much money in Africa. Meaning we are rich. I mean, obviously, San Jose, you're more rich than other Americans, <laughs> but uh, in America, in general. In comparison to the world, we are rich. In some sense, that puts us in our disadvantage, right? There's, I'm, I'm generally poor as an American person and a pastor in America. I'm a poor person. We don't even have a house. Uh, so it, there's tremendous advantage about being poor. We, as a church, we don't own a single building. We don't have a church building. So somebody threatened us one time and said, we're going to burn your church building. I had no fear <laughs> because we are not, oh, that's fine, you know. But somebody was coming down with a gun to kill our family. That was a little bit scary, but burning building was no, no problem. So, uh, you know, we got nothing to lose because we got nothing, right? Uh, so when you have something, some sort of, I'm not saying it's bad to have something, but there's disadvantage spiritually because when you have something, you are you think you are something. You think you are okay. You think you are not in need of God nor the danger that they were in spiritually in every facet of our lives. When you have something in your hand, you feel like you are not in need because money or material things, or things that we ride on, things we possess, gives us sometimes false sense of security though they can be gone in any moment, in any day. So when you have something more than others, you think you're better than them. 
So we need to be careful of these, these, these things. And that's what the Laodiceans was, were like. But the evaluation of Jesus as he was, as he was speaking to Laodiceans was drastically different than how they evaluated themselves. So think about your evaluation, Jesus' evaluation of you individually, your family, your church. Uh, so on, if you learn to examine yourselves through the Word of God, then you can have Jesus' evaluation of yourself. But thing is, we don't. We don't evaluate ourselves as often. So our prayer ought to be, God, shock us now, not on the judgment day. That should be our goal. That's a wisdom. Shock us now, Lord. It's much better to be shocked now with the truth rather than be shocked at the evaluation of Jesus Christ on the judgment day. So uh, let's get to work here. Again, four things. Usually there are five things, including good things to say. So address and then commendation and then review. But there's nothing. Here, so there are only four. So it could be short, but it isn't. It's gonna be. It's not gonna be shorter. Uh, Jesus addresses. Jesus rebukes. Jesus counsels. Jesus promises. And then at the end, I would like to make a concluding comment about the seven churches. Two observation about seven churches, so that we'll know what how uh, what Jesus thinks about the church of Jesus Christ, universal, universal church, local church, and universal church. So we'll talk about that. So first of all, Jesus addresses. Revelation chapter four, uh, chapter three, four, fourteen, and to the angels of Laodicea, right? And then usually Jesus gives his name, revelation of his name, uh, in conjunction to the state of the church. So different names that he gives, and then these names are uh, often mentioned in Revelation chapter one when John saw Jesus, right? The vision of Jesus. A lot of these names are already mentioned, so we can see what Jesus was thinking here. So verse fourteen, it says, "The Amen." Uh, angel of the church in Laodicea, right? The words of Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So we need to think about what this means. First of all, the Amen. Hebrew transliteration of faithful and true. That's what Amen means. Faithful and true. And when he says that he is Amen, he means that he is reliable. He is faithful. He is true. As a personal designation, it describes the one who is perfectly trustworthy and faithful. We know 2 Corinthians 1.20. Uh, I love this verse, right? For all the promises of God, that's from the Old Testament throughout the Scripture. For all the promises of God, find there, yes, in Him, Jesus Christ. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to the glory, uh, to, uh, to God for His Glory. So we receive God's, all God's promise through Jesus Christ in faith. God is faithful to keep all His promises. And Jesus is our yes. So that we can receive it in faith and give Him all the glory. So, you know, Reformed churches that are, that are, that are like this, like our church too, don't know how, when, charismatic churches know, amen, uh-huh, black churches, uh-huh, I love those churches, and I feel so strengthened. I'm giving terrible sermon, they go, right on, then I feel really strengthened. Uh-huh, it's so good, right? But uh, we got to learn to say amen. amen. Amen? Really, because uh, we're, we're declaring the glory of God. 
taking the word of God in faith. So we got to learn to say amen. Because Jesus, we're saying, Jesus Christ is our yes. Jesus Christ is our yes to the purposes of God. Jesus Christ is our yes to the obedience of God. Jesus Christ is our yes to his word, to his power, to his glory. And we are witnessing his faithfulness to others and to the world. So Jesus is our amen. And then second thing about Jesus here, he, the faithful and true witness, which is really a meaning, interpretation of that word, a- amen. So this phrase defines the last word, amen, the faithful and true witness. So Jesus is the witness in one sense. This. He's the proof. He's the one who testified the Father's faithful uh, promises. Next one is a little tricky. It says the beginning of God's creation. Uh, this is where the Jehovah's Witnesses today, like Arians in 4th century, would take this phrase in this verse, where Jesus is called the beginning of God's creation, to mean, they misunderstand this obviously, to mean that Christ is not eternal God, eternal with God the Father, but was the first and greatest creature. So Jesus Christ is created by God the Father. So that, that's why he's not God, but he's a human being. right? Jehovah's Witnesses and some cult group will say these things, that God the Father created the Son. But then we, we, we know that's false through the existence of Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who existed eternally. If this was true, then Jesus is not to be worshipped. If then Jesus is just a man created, then he's not God, then he cannot be worshipped. But same book, Revelation, that when Jesus, like, you know, when the angels who are created by God are to be are worshipped, it says, "Oh, don't worship us, worship God." It says, "For the testimony of Jesus is spirit prophecy." So, he, angels going, "Don't worship me, just worship God." Right? That's what he says uh, in Revelation nineteen verse ten. I fell down at at his feet, worship him. So John was so amazed by the angel who was giving him the revelation. So he starts to worship. He starts to worship. But the angel said to me, he says. You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. So if Jesus was not God himself, he would not receive worship. But the Revelation 5, uh, Revelation 1, 3. Oh, Revelation, is, is, was Revelation 5, 13 there? Okay, well, it's not it. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's all right. I'll read Revelation chapter 5, verse 13. Ah. Uh, I just mentioned it. Five and four and five is basically Jesus Christ receiving all the worship from every creature, every living creature uh, in in the history. So we can tell that Jesus is God. And according to the words of John in John one three, uh, this is what he says: All things were made through him. Talking about Jesus Christ. He's not created, but he, he actually is the creator. And without him was not anything made that was made. So when we read that verse, or when we read that phrase that he's the beginning of God's creation, it could mean, it could mean that he is the result of creation, or he could be the source of creation, right? The beginning of God's creation. He is the one who began the creation of God. So according to John 1 3, obviously. Beginning of creation doesn't mean the result of creation, but the source of creation. That's what John is saying in one chapter 1, verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So, 
uh, Jehovah's Witness, Arians, misunderstood that phrase, thinking he's the result of creation. No, it's, he's the source of creation. Right? So the one who speaks to us in this letter is God the Son, the source of all God's creation, including all of us. That's what it means. So he's, uh, that's the address. Let's go to the second thing, which is Jesus rebukes, verses 15 through 17. A uh, couple things here. First of all, the assessment of their condition. He's saying to them, you're lukewarm. I know your works are neither cold or hot. Would you, that you would either cold or hot because you are lukewarm. Often misused phrase, right? Lukewarm. Neither hot or cold. I'll spit, <laughs> spit you out of my mouth. When you were reading speech, I, I wanted to do that too, just make sure the Bible comes alive, but... It sounded disgusting, so I'm just doing it now. <laughs> but, you know, traditional interpretation, misinterpretation is this. Like, lukewarm means temperature of water equals temperature of spirituality. But, you know, understanding the background, that really, that's not what it means. Now, uh, Laodicea, remember, had no water source, so they used a pipe aqueduct to bring water from two cities, Hierapolis, Water from hot spring, about five miles or eight kilometers, had medical effect if it's hot. From Colossae, cold water came in for refreshment and health. So by the time the water, hot water and cold water, hot water used for medical purposes and cold water used for refreshment, comes into, after several miles, into, uh, what is it, uh, what is this city? Huh? Laodicea, it became lukewarm. Then it's not useful. It's neither hot or cold. That's what Jesus is saying. It's got to be either hot or cold to be useful, but you're lukewarm. Then I'll spit you out of my mouth. It's not good for refreshment. It's not good for health. Basically, what it means is, church in Laodicea was neither supplied healing spiritually for spiritually sick or refreshment for the spiritual weary. You're useless. That's basically what he's saying. So, uh, Lukewarm means you're useless rather than you got to be either hot or cold is bad and hot is good. No, cold is good and hot is good. Lukewarm is bad. Lukewarm is useless. And that's what he's saying. You know, you're not useful for the kingdom of God. And the reason is for the, of course, pride. Now, I don't know if you drank water like this. Like sometimes you play sports somewhere and then you drink water fountain from the from there, what happens? Oh, egg water. Have you had that? Like It has like iron taste and you drink, oh, what is this? It tastes weird. Reason why it's like that is because they've been sitting in the pipe for a long time and it was cut off from the source of water. So it tastes bad. And I think, you know, churches like that. We, we could be like that. If we're cut off from the source of our strength and the grace of God, we rot we taste bad, and we become useless. That church is cut off from the source of life, therefore becomes useless, and that's what uh, this passage is saying. And the cause of, that's the assessment of the condition, but the cause of a condition is because of their pride. Verse 17, two things, right? I am and I have, this is what it says, Revelation three seventeen says, For you say, uh, for you say, I am, right? You see that? I am, for you say I am something, not realizing, so they're saying I am this, Jesus is saying, 
you are this. So there was a discrepancy between God's evaluation of them and man's evaluation of them. Such a drastic difference. Often we are like this evaluation of who we are in the world versus evaluation of the word of God is drastically different. Right? Uh, you know, often I meet people who really don't know themselves. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you are like this. No, I'm not. But they are. Uh, you know, you, American Idols. Do you watch American Idols? I used to watch American You know what I'm talking about already? You know, these people think they're good. And they come out, they go, and they look like they're going to be good. And they come out and go, Wah! <laughs> And they think, and when fal- judges are laughing and they say you're terrible, they, go, they can't understand why. Wow. Their evaluation of them, because their mom told them they're good. And that's the only evaluation that they know. Right? Yeah, yeah that's right. You know, false prophets or something. You know, they, all these uh, evaluation, wrong interpretation, wrong evaluation of, the, of themselves. And was often we could be like that, right? In the world, people don't know they're sinners. Right? Because their evaluation of what people told them is different than the evaluation of what Jesus is saying. Who they really are. What God says of you who are is the most important thing. Only thing that matters. Now and forevermore. And that's the correct evaluation. We need to know ourselves. I am blank. And we, it has to be as close to what Jesus would be saying than how we see ourselves. So uh, incorrect, they had incorrect evaluation of themselves. And reason is, I have right? uh, incorrect basis of evaluation of themselves. You know, I have, I am rich. I have, you see that word? It says I am, who I am. And then I have prospered. Uh, why do we get proud? When we have things or resources, ability. Because whoever, when kids are growing up, if they're good in one thing, they could be pretty. They, are, could be, they could be pretty, they could be good athletes, they could be good musicians, or they're funny, whatever. One thing they're good at. Then if they're good in that one thing, what happens? People tell them, well, you're good in this. Well, you're good in this. People keep telling them that. Right? Then what happens is that becomes their evaluation of themselves. It becomes their identity. So whatever bad things that they have, that becomes their identity, so they become proud. Uh, so whenever people are good in one thing as they're growing up, right, they can have pride. But pride is not just I'm great. Pride is also I'm, I want to be great. So I, I call it high pride and low pride. High pride is I'm this great. Right? Low pride is I'm terrible, I hate myself. But what you're saying is I want to be great. So desire is still the same, right? but the result is different. So they have low view of themselves or high view of themselves, but it's still pride, preoccupation with themselves, desire to exalt themselves, uh, even if they uh, hate themselves. It's not really hate them hating themselves. They're hating the attributes of themselves, but they still love themselves. Even the ones who kill themselves love themselves because they, want, they don't want to face the pain that they're having and they think they, have, they would have less pain or more pleasure if they would quit the situation that they, have, that they are in right now. Everybody loves themselves. themselves. Everybody is proud in that sense. And the Laodicean church, again, is like that. Pride. Pride is I can do it all. Confidence based on themselves or desire to exalt themselves. But humility says I can do it all through Christ 
who strengthens me. Confidence based on Christ. He's our identity. And uh, this church, again, like, I believe, uh, equated their affluence into approval of God. Kind of like a prosperity theology. Let me talk about prosperity. Prosperity. Presbyter. I could be talking about Presbyterians and prosperity gospel. But prosperity gospel, uh, I believe, you know, possibly they were thinking like this. Oh, we are rich? That means, you know, God is blessing us. We are approved by God. Well, rich does not mean affirmation from God. Affirmation of God does not mean that you get money. Jesus, just watch Jesus. Paul, they misinterpreted why God has blessed them financially. Prosperity gospel says money is a sign of blessing. Why does God bless you more? Well, according to the Bible, I believe. I believe uh, Susang preached on money for a long time. So I'm probably preaching to the choir. But God blesses more financially, not to increase the standard of our living, but to increase our, the standard of our giving. God gives us more so that we can live with necessities and then we can use that to show the generous hand of God, the grace of God visibly in a monetary, through monetary things that we have. God gives us more for our hands to share to others. Two things happen when you give in love and gratitude. Our hearts grow, we grow to be like Christ and God's hands are shown to others through the things we give to others. Money goes from being a blessing to curse if in our hearts Christ is not first. If Christ is first in our hearts, then we use money for people rather than use people to get money. So Christ has to be our Lord in our hearts. So whatever He gives to us, whether it's talent, money, time, that we use it for the glory of God. Jesus is saying to them, you have money but you're poor. That's what He's saying to Laodicean church church uh, according to the bible I do, I do believe bible talks about prosperity theology but prosperity theology of the spirit spiritual prosperity theology uh, jesus indictment of this church uh, is that they really did not need jesus because they had other things christ was a moderate influence in their lives Jesus cannot be moderate influence in your life. Jesus has to be influence of everything we do in our lives so that we do everything for His glory. Comfortable compromise is far easier than faithful sacrifice in Christian life. Uh, I've been, I go to a lot of poor countries. And one of the countries I remember going to was Uganda. And that's not even the poor, poorest country I've been to, but Uganda was a pretty poor country. Churches, so many kids, just in this city uh, at that time, that was years ago, had 5 million orphans. Most of the parents had uh, died, had HIV, were HIV positive. So a lot of these kids were HIV positive. So there's so many orphans, uh, they had no solution. So a lot of these churches adopted like, I don't know, 10 to 20 kids as a church. Basically, we're raising these children. A lot of these children were HIV positive. So I went to this small church. It was a small church, maybe 50 people or something like that. And 
I was preaching to them. And before I was preaching, this girl comes out who's bald, comes out eight years old, starts to come out and starts to sing. And we can tell that all the church people love this girl, one of the orphans they adopted. They, had, they adopted, it was a poorer church among the poor churches, so they only adopted like eight or something. And it was one of the girls that came out and she was giving a, a special praise. And she, was, she comes out and she talks, talks and then I, I'm listening through a translator. And she goes, I'm not going to sing two songs today. I'm going to sing one song, only one song. And everybody started to laugh. You can tell that this church has so much love for this girl. And she goes back in like this. And she's dancing. And then she's singing this song. And the translator was, was translating this. Basically, she was saying, you need Jesus. <laughs> so I was just, I was doing exactly what you just did. <laughs> You know, because here's a girl that had nothing. Here's a girl that needed everything. And she's saying, I'm not the one who's in need. I have Jesus. So I'm not in need. It is you who need Jesus. I was thinking about that. Wow. You have everything. You don't have Jesus. You have nothing. You have nothing. You have Jesus. You have everything. And that struck me. I saw I was mesmerized by that thought. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying to this Laodicean church. They had everything. They didn't have Jesus. They had nothing. So challenge to us is what do you need right now in your heart? Do you really need Jesus? Oh, you may say, I need Jesus. But do you pray? You don't need Jesus. Do you read God's word? No, you don't really need Jesus. Do you need the grace of God daily? You say you need Jesus, but you don't really need Jesus. You have everything you need already. And that's Jesus' indictment to you. What do you really need? What can't you do without in a day? We need newspaper. We need to check the Facebook, tweet. You know, we need to eat. But do we really need spiritual food? Do we really need Jesus? What do you need? What do you pursue after? Our hearts are alive. So our hearts are made of desires, nature desire we talked about this morning. So our heart is always seeking for something. What are you pursuing after? What are you seeking in your heart? Do you really need Jesus? You need to ask that in your heart. Our heart is pursued, always has to be for more of Jesus. I'm rich. I'm rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. That's what Laodicean church was saying. Our rich is Jesus. Our prosperity is our spiritual prosperity of having more of Jesus. We need to say, I need nothing else other than Jesus. But we are desperate need for more of Jesus. Otherwise, we are proud. Otherwise, we are poor. Uh, We are blind. We are naked. That's the evaluation of us if we are not in need of Jesus daily for His grace. Let's go to the third thing here. Jesus counsels. Three things. Buy from Jesus. Be zealous and repent and hear His voice and open the door. Uh, according to verse 18, it says, Buy from me gold. And then three things He mentions. Buy from me. We're going to talk about buy from me. But then gold. White garment, salve. Why does it say buy from me? They could, uh, they could buy these necessities, 
only by grace. He received from Jesus. So by languages, the Old Testament language, Isaiah chapter 55 verse 1, says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. We talked about this verse in the morning. And he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. Without money and without price. We like that. I like things free. Free grace, free upgrade. I love those things. Right? But uh, here, basically the bilanguage is, you know, receive it from Jesus Christ. By his blood. He bought it for you. So get it from him. Receive him. And then this verse refers to three items uh, in which Laodicea had great pride with financial wealth, extensive textile industry, and famous eye cell, medical technology, right? And he's mentioning these three things. Now, what are these things? I don't know, First Peter chapter... Yeah, that's great. So, uh, gold. What does he mean by gold? Buy from me gold. Well... You know, we can get the clue, First Peter chapter 1, verse 7, so that tested by genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold. Right? So we, we, we can see that our faith, right? Uh, of course, we can get that through Christ. And then when he says white garments, uh, spiritual nakedness, white means purity. And then salve, uh, we are spiritually blind. So which are, we are in spiritual poverty. We are spiritual nakedness, spiritual blindness. And we need Jesus. All, same here, Jesus is the answer. And we can get this. We can get these three components through the picture of Jesus in Revelation 1, 13 and 14. It says, he already showed this picture. In the midst of the Lamb stands one like the Son of Man. Gold sash around his waist. White garment, white wool like snow. And I said, well, Jesus were like a flame of fire. He can see everything. So all three things, gold uh, and, uh, what is it? Uh, gold, white garments, said, pointing forward to Jesus Christ. We are in need of Jesus, His grace. All right. Second thing, buy from Jesus. Be zealous and repent. Verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove, discipline, be zealous and repent. Uh, so, again, like what we talked about, turn around. Just pursuing, he's pursuing, so turn around, receive him. Turn the direction of your heart. Don't pursue after money, pursue after Christ. Don't pursue after your material treasure, but treasure of Christ. Uh, notice it said, I love those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Several verses, several places in the New Testament. He only disciplines those whom he loves. That means when you receive rebuke, you have a chance. <laughs> Jesus is still after you. So there's people who don't like to rebuke. But when he's rebuking, there's still hope. Even this dead church. Laodicean church has a chance. If he rebukes you, you have a chance. If you can see rebuke as love, then listen, you have a chance. If you're not in hell, you have a chance. He's giving you the grace of God. And parents, you understand. Why in the world would you rebuke? Because you love them, you care for them. And when you don't care for them, when you care for yourself 
more than you care for your kids. In fact, you want to avoid rebuke as a parent. So God disciplines those whom he loves. We understand this more because we became parents. So buy from me, Jesus, be zealous to repent. Thirdly, hear his voice and open the door. Uh, verse chapter three, verse twenty. This misunderstood verse in the Bible. One of the misunderstood verse in the Bible. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, often this verse is used for, oh, that's uh, God's wanting to knock at the door of an uh, unbeliever. Well, he's speaking to the church of Jesus Christ here, right? So he's not speaking to individual heart of unbelievers, but believers in the congregation of the church of Jesus Christ. So, uh, you know, so uh, you must, uh, how you buy the gold garment salve when you are poor and blind and naked. He's, he wants to enter into the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, church of Jesus Christ. He's to this that church. He wants to come in. He wants to individually revive them. So how do you buy? Uh, we talked about gold garment salve when you're poor, blind, and naked. My suggestion as we look into this passage is you don't, you don't go out. You invite Jesus in. You don't need to search for him. Just turn. He's already there. He's already in pursuit of you. Often we think God is someone who's so far away. right? And this is what I learned, what I thought from Korean churches. Like praying so hard, which we need to. But the perception of God is... He's way up there, so we got to climb up. We got to be good enough. And then what happens? Go to the throne and then, oh, you know, oh, we, a few of us make it and then we twist God's arm. Please, please. And then God goes, okay, I'll bless you. No, no, I see the picture of God in our prayer more like this. Moms, you know, the Korean moms, they, what do they, it's just one of the hardest things as a mom is that when kids don't eat, you know. So I see Korean moms chasing after these kids with spoons running around, can't do it by herself. So what happens? Calls the dad. So two of them chasing around. Now put him in a corner, then in a corner. You corner them so she can't go anywhere. So what does dad do? Only three holes in the face, so you cover two. <laughs> then what happens? You got to breathe. <gasps> now he put the spoon in. I think that's what God is like. It's us that are running away from God. God wants to stuff you with His grace, mercy, and kindness. He wants to bless you. And He's looking for any excuse to bless you. That's repentance. Sin out, and He's just going to stuff you with His grace. That's the picture of God that I see. So you need to fervently pray, not so that you can find God. You need to fervently pray so that as you're running away, you, you can stop the momentum and just turn around, and He will stuff you with a spoon of God's grace. Amen? Amen? That's the kind of God I see when I read the Bible. Look, yeah, people are always, it's the people that are running away. Adam, running away. It's everybody. They're running away, constantly running away. God is the one who chases people, and he, he gets tired, so he sends his son. You go now. <laughs> and comes to him. So you don't go in. You invite Jesus in. He's knocking at the door. You don't need to search for him. He just turn around. He's searching after you. He's already in pursuit of you. Jerry Maguire. Anybody see Jerry Maguire? Oh, I like that movie. I like any sports movie, but Jerry Maguire. Do younger guys go? It's like 20 years ago. Uh, it's a good, still a good movie. 
good date movie. Uh, struggling sports agent. What's his name? No, no. <laughs> Tom Cruise. I know Jeremy. <laughs> okay, Tom Cruise was playing Jerry Maguire, struggling sports agent, right? Not sure if she, if he loves this woman or not. So they separate because he's not sure. You know, he likes her, but she's not sure if he's in, is in love with her. Love with her. But by the end of the movie, achieving great success at the end of the movie, he realizes how much she loves her because, you know, he, he goes, goes to her and gives this wonderful speech at the end. How he achieved the great success, but he, had, he was not happy because he, had, he did not have anyone to share that with. And first person he thought about was her. And then he realizes that he's in love with her. So there he realizes how much he loves her because she was the one he wanted to share that news with. So he turns towards her and running around, turns towards her, gets to where she is and say to, says to her what became a famous line 20 years ago when we were younger. Uh, that became a famous line during that time. He goes, you complete me. But her response, that's not what I want to talk about here. <laughs> but it was her response that says, after that, I want to talk about. And she says, as she's about to, you complete me. And she's like almost in tears, right? She's crying. And she goes, you had me at hello. <laughs> I was so blessed by that phrase because that's what God is like. We think when we're running away from the Lord or whatever, and we feel like, just like the younger son, we feel like we need to do great prayer and repentance and all these things. But when we turn around, when as soon as our hearts turn toward God, God says, you had me at hello. He's pursued after us. As soon as you just even little propensity to change your heart to come to God, He's already there. He wants to enter into your heart. Bless you. Stuff you with His grace. He's looking for any excuse to give you blessings. That's who we are. So you don't have to pursue. Just turn. Because He's already in hot pursuit after you. And it talks about dining, eating with you. It's such a uh, picture of intimacy, friendship, priceless fellowship with Christ. The picture is that He is the one who's knocking at the door. You're the one who's shutting down, shutting the door at Him. He wants more of you. You can never run too far from his reach and you can never sin too much for his breach. You cannot break that relationship with Christ. Just open the door of your heart. He's already in pursuit of you tonight as you pray. Remember that. Let's go to the fourth thing. Jesus promises. Uh, just a simple verse that mentioned, that's mentioned in chapter 3, verse 21. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. And I also conquered and sat down with my father in his throne. Of course, it's talking about union with Christ, in our position with him and all these things. But in some sense, Christ in heaven, it seems like uh, there, Christ will delegate some sort of ruling authority to his people. You look at this in uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 17. He said to them, Well done, good and faithful servant, because you have been faithful in a very little. You have authority over ten cities. So 
again, restoration of the picture of biological Israelites receiving the promised land and its spiritual authority receiving some sort of territory in heaven. Heaven is a place of joy, but also heaven is a place of service. We're going to serve Christ. Heaven is not like angels playing harp and we're sitting there boring. No, we're going to be serving the Lord even in heaven. Now, only difference is that right now, you you mean, I, I thought we're going to have eternal rest. I thought I don't have to work. I have to go to work in heaven? No, it's not like that. It's like, how many of you, you know, there's no lazy people. They're all, everybody's diligent. Like uh, students who don't study, they're amazingly diligent playing video games. Like all night for hours they're playing. Nobody, nobody's, oh, I have to get up and play video game now. So they, those, these guys who are addicted to video games, they, they cannot wait to get up and play video games. So it's just that they're, you know, I'm just saying, you know, everybody loves to do what they want to do. Heaven will be like that. If we, I don't think we need, might need sleep, but if we have sleep, we cannot get up. To serve God, something we love to do, something that we're good at, something that's going to picture and glorify Christ. We would love to do these things when we get to heaven. More than your, whatever your addiction is, more than that, you're going to have want to do more of that in Christ. Heaven is a place of joy. Heaven is a place of service. Again, this is allusion to Old Testament Israel. Restore the world, spiritual Israelites. We're going to serve Him and love to serve Him and picture Him and honor and glorify Him. 1 Corinthians 6, 3, do you not know that we are to judge angels? So right now, angels above us because we are sinful beings and uh, angelic, uh, uh, heavenly angels are no sin. But when we are sinless, when Christ returns, our sin nature will be plucked up. Boop. Somehow when sin nature is gone, we're going to experience amazing, just incredible, indescribable pleasure immediately. Joy, because he's going to stuff you more of his grace. And the only thing that stops us, bottleneck, is our sin, sin nature. So when that's gone, you know, you know when you like drink McDonald's bubble tea or something, and something's stuck, it doesn't come out, and sometimes and then some, it's, it's going to be like that billion times more. And we're just receiving a little bit of his grace when we pray and listen to God's words. But... When sin nature, that's stuck, right? It gets us stuck. We're going to receive incredible joy in Jesus Christ. And best is yet to come. 2 Timothy 2, 12. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we deny him, uh, we'll deny us. We'll also reign with him. Again, that aspect is there. Uh, and we, we need to continue to do this in Christ. Now, some of you, uh, uh, let, me, uh, let me give you, uh, let me talk about, I, I don't know uh, what you think is a reward in heaven is, right? Let me talk about that just a little bit. Jonathan Edwards' uh, idea of reward. You know, we think reward is house or money or all these things, but reward, according to the Bible, if you search carefully, Jesus, uh, God says, I am your reward. So Jonathan Edwards' picture is like this. In heaven, God will rain himself. It's like rain coming down. God's going to just pour himself. Right? That's our reward. But our hearts are like bowls. So you, you, we talked about sin nature. They'll be gone. We have talks about our spirit's nature, size of our heart, spiritual nature. And more and more we fight in this world, it grows. Okay? So whatever we do in this world... We're increasing the bowl of our hearts. So when we get to heaven, greater our hearts, greater our battle, greater reward. 
greater pleasure, greater joy. And we're going to exponentially continue to receive God's grace. We're going to continuously grow to be like Christ because Christ is infinite in person. So we will never be Christ, but we'll be more and more like Jesus Christ every day. And there'll be greater joy. And it all depends on there's degree of reward in heaven, just like there's degree of punishment in hell. So right now, present day, 78 years old, not only is it important because of we can receive Christ, but we can grow to become more like Christ. And we, our bowls can increase so that we'll have greater reward in heaven. So present day fight is important because of that. How can we do that? How can we prepare for that? Just simple. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We need to hear the word of God. We need to apply, we need to pray. And increase of our bowl, our hearts, and our nature happens. There's a spiritual reality far deeper and infinitely greater than we can imagine. The Word of God paints the picture of this amazing truth. The longer I live, the more I realize I just don't know. <laughs> uh, there is nothing that gives me more of Jesus than the Bible. The Word of God has infinite amount of treasure in each verse. And what a privilege it is that I am called to preach because I would not study the Bible nearly as much if I wasn't called to teach it. I'll tell you that. I confess that. Because I have to preach every Sunday, I, have to, I study more. So I would suggest you, if you can place yourself in being a leader so that you can teach the Bible, you can lead the Bible because it's going to help you to study more. By any means, get into that position because it's going to help you to grow more. The Word of God has infinite amount of treasure. and It's a privilege for me to be a pastor to preach so that I can study the Bible more. As I go through each verse, it goes through me. It clothes me with His righteousness. Each verse I read is a garment I will wear for eternity. Each passage I meditate on heals me and makes me realize more that I was blind. But now I see. Jesus is my gold, my garment, my salve. And I get him through his word. Just two concluding thoughts. As I think about meditate on the seven churches. And then we'll finish. One is the word two. Meaning Jesus, he's committed to the church of Jesus Christ. As I think about these seven churches, he has the church in his hands. He walks around. He has you in his hand. He's walking around here, walking in the midst of us, making sure our hearts are on fire as we listen to the word of God. So please be committed to the local church of Jesus Christ, always, as you are now. Uh, strange in, in this verse is that initially the name in the beginning of the letter did not seem to correlate the content about to be given. Look at this, remember? Uh, always uh, the initial in the address, and he, as he mentions the name, usually matches the content. It says, word of amen, the faithful and true witness, and the beginning of God's creation. What is he talking about? Right? I, I, I had to think long and hard to relate that part. Beginning of God's, why is he talking about that? In this church, right? But, as I compare that picture to Revelation 1, and he uses different phrase to describe this aspect. Look at this, Revelation 1.5. Uh, 
uh, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, that's similar, right? Words of amen that say faithful and true witness, that's similar. And then instead of saying beginning of God's creation, it says the first of the, uh, uh, well, the, first of the dead. What is he thinking? What is he talking about? I believe he's thinking about beginning of God's new creation. Oh, sorry about that. New creation, right? To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, as he cleanses us, uh, you know, he's, he wants to resurrect us. So to this dead church, basically I think what he's thinking is he wants to resurrect this dead church because he's committed to the church of Jesus Christ. His intention is to bless them in love so that this church can come alive. And this church can be useful for the kingdom of God. Uh, we know that the death of one leads to the revival of many. And he still does not give up on you. He's knocking at the door of your heart. Open, individually. And may we come alive to be useful for the kingdom of God. Now, let me... I used a $20 bill in our church, but this church, I, ne I needed to upgrade the bill. Uh, status is a little bit different than you and our students in our church. Uh, $50 bill. I couldn't find $100 bill, so I'm sorry. But I know this is not too much, but it's supposed to be a lot. So if I give you this, would you take it? Uh, most of you. I know. <laughs> so think about this. This is a pretty new bill. What if this was really old bill? Would you still take it? Yeah. What if this is a pretty new bill, but what if you wrinkle over? <laughs> Would you still take it? Okay. Uh, what if uh, you don't know where this has been? What if before me, I know I didn't do bad things with this, but before me, somebody had this and used it to buy bad things, drugs, would you still take this? <laughs> I would take it. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I think that's the point. Right? This is like us, right? This is still valuable because high authority said this is $50 is valuable. No matter what, you know, how new you are, how young you are, how old you are, you are still valuable because of Jesus Christ. Even no matter how much wrinkles that you have, <laughs> how old you are, you have wrinkles. Right. Amen, over 40s? Amen. <laughs> Might not be valuable to the world. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> this is fun in this church. Uh, this is still valuable to God because God gives us the value. High authority says we are valuable in Jesus Christ. Amen. And no matter where you have been, no matter what you have done, no matter how you have used your body and used yourself to do different kind of sins in the past, right now, you're still valuable because you have your justification in Jesus Christ and His plan for you He's going to use you. He can use you for His glory. Everybody breathe. One, two, three. Okay. Smells like Thai food. 
Let me tell you, as long as you're breathing, He has a plan for you. There's something else to do in your life. Never quit. Just turn around. Okay, Pastor he already got you. You had him at hello. He wants to use you for his glory. Otherwise, he can take you home anytime. I've done, I've done hundreds of weddings. Young church, young people church. Five funerals. <laughs> Rarely people die, but they die suddenly. We don't, if God has no more plan for you, he'll take you. But breathe, if you're breathing, there's something else to do for you. You're in Jesus Christ. He wants to use you. He's committed to you. So another word, just simple word, is through. Okay. Just the word through. Look at this. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Uh, He's, he wants to use the church of Jesus Christ. Local church. This is local church. Universal church is make up of the true believers in Jesus Christ. That's what we call universal church. So we are all part of universal church. New Hope is a local church. He's committed through the church of Jesus Christ to expand his kingdom. He's been doing that. That that's, has been his means. First century till on. Right? Till 20th century. He's committed to change the world through the church of Jesus Christ. Romeo and Juliet. You guys know Romeo and Juliet. Two children. They were teenagers. Did you know that? Two children opposing, of opposing families fall in love. Due to the disapproval of the families, parents wanting to escape the arranged wedding, Juliet devises a plan to drink a potion. On her wedding night, that puts her into a death-like coma for several hours. So she sends a letter to explain this to Romeo. Hey, I'm going to look like I'm dead for a few hours so that I can get up, we can elope and get married. right? So she sends a letter to explain this to Romeo, but the letter does not reach him. <sighs> this is not Disney. This is Shakespeare. Okay, uh, So... Disney always reached Romeo not knowing that she is in death like coma really thinks she is dead so what happens he drinks poison himself to die Juliet then awakens finding Romeo dead and stabs, stabs herself with his dagger so you read this story tragedy Shakespeare right if we were to rewrite the story, what would you have done? If One thing, solution one I thought about. If it, it happened due to misunderstanding. So if we clarify the misunderstanding, it might not have happened. That's one thing. Or another solution might be if Romeo saw Juliet and had, had the power to raise her from death. Would not have happened. <laughs> but it's Shakespeare. you know. So... The gospel is we do have a love story in the gospel between Christ and the church. And we have the one who is greater than Romeo. 
that is here. Our lover has the power of resurrection, can resurrect the dead church. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. But let me point out this. You know, these seven churches, none of them exist today. Then what happened? These churches do not exist now. But there's a church called CFC, my church. There's a church called New Hope. Amen? Amen. So I thought about it. I go, the sustenance of God's local church is conditional to their faithfulness. But the sustenance of God's universal church is conditional to his faithfulness. Meaning unconditional, eternal. God will use his people okay, through the church of Jesus Christ. If not CFC, if not New Hope, God will use some other church. But God will use the universal church. God will use the church of Jesus Christ to fulfill his redemptive plan. My question is, does New Hope want to be part of that? That depends on your faithfulness to Christ as you beg for his grace. And all you have to do is turn around. He will stuff you with his grace. And by his grace, may he work through you to change the city. Let's pray. And honestly, I I really pray. Sometimes I pray like this. Again, my church is called CFC. And I go, Lord, may CFC vanish. Get rid of this church if this church is not going to be part of your plan. If we don't serve you, Lord, help us to get rid of this. We're hindering people's lives. But, Lord, if we're going to exist, I pray that you'll use our church. Do whatever you need to do, you want to do. Whether it's discipline or exile. Suffering, hardships. Purify your church. So that our church can be useful to your kingdom. Pray that we will never be lukewarm. I pray that you will spit us out of your mouth. If we're not going to do our part in, my, in our generation. Help us to be useful. I pray that you'll have that kind of desire in your heart because God is committed to change the world through the universal church. Some churches, I pray that you'll be part of it. Otherwise, I I don't want to exist. If I exist, I want God to use us to make difference in our generation and the next do our part, small part. I pray that you will not just exist, but you exist to be part of the through of Jesus Christ. In order for you to be used as a through of Jesus Christ, you need to you need that word to. You need to have his grace. So that by his grace that you'll be his instrument for his kingdom. Individually, as a family, as a church. Pray that there'll be a prayer. Let's pray to the Lord for a few minutes until the prayer or praise is led.